Hello, everyone. This is Arielle, and thank you for tuning in once again to our forum on reducing stigma to improve maternal health and practice and policy for alcohol and substance use in pregnancy. We've heard a lot from different professional sectors, whether it's medical or treatment or legal, but sometimes the most important stories are the ones that are personal. Today, our speaker is Kara Bigcrow, who was born and raised on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. She's an enrolled member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe. Kara is the director of Freedom Lodge and serves on the board of directors. She's attended various healing self-help trainings over the years, including mind-body medicine, as well as historical trauma and healing with Dr. Ruby Gibson. Kara is a trainer in historical trauma and somatic archaeology, and in pursuit of her bachelor's in psychology with a concentration on drug and alcohol addictions at Southern New Hampshire University. Kara believes that healing oneself is essential to living a healthy life, and as a mother to three talented sons and three beautiful daughters, Kara strongly believes that by healing ourselves from the inside out, we will help our future generations heal. Good morning. My name is Kara Bigcrow. I am a member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. I was born and raised in Pine Ridge. I'm the, mother, the daughter of Raymond and Mary Sue Bigcrow. I come from the Big Crow family. I myself have six children. I was in a really dark place um, growing up. I remember my first drink at about eight years old. And it wasn't a couple years after that I was full-blown alcoholic using marijuana. taking pills, drinking on the regular before I was 13, smoking cigarettes, a part of my everyday life. I had my first child when I was 16 years old and I had no prenatal care with my son, not a checkup until I was around eight months pregnant when I finally told my parents that I was pregnant. I hid my pregnancy really well. Uh, I didn't so much continue to drink through that time uh, in the beginning. Yes, alcohol. But throughout the whole pregnancy, the biggest issue that I had was smoking cigarettes and smoking weed. Um, I couldn't put it down. And I didn't, at 16, I wasn't aware, you know, what pregnancy was about, how sacred it was. I wasn't aware of my role as a woman, as a soon-to-be mother, as I was very, very young. Nobody knew I was pregnant, so it was, it was not a happy time for me. I had to continue my everyday activities as if nothing was different because I didn't want anyone to know that I was pregnant. And I didn't know how to bring up the conversation. I wasn't one to be able to talk or to talk about feelings or to feel feelings. Um, drugs and alcohol was my way out of just about everything. I never felt my true emotions growing up. I put on a front as being very tough to different people, very tough so I wasn't approached or confronted you know, or nobody crossed my path. 
Um, so with my first son, drugs and alcohol were an issue and no prenatal care. Choices of my own, but also not choices that I had either way. Um, my second child, I had her when I was 19. And this time I had all the prenatal care. I was sober. I was um, married. I was set to move away. And when that happened, I had one of the biggest traumatic events in my life happen. I nearly lost my two-year-old son to the hands of my husband at the time. And my life was shattered. I was facing a son who I felt like I let down, although I didn't know what was happening. And raising a daughter who looked just like the man who had hurt me and who had hurt my son. And so I found it really hard to sleep at night. I've, when I moved home, I moved into the bigger drugs. I moved into doing coke on the daily, partying every day, drinking heavier than I ever have in my whole life, smoking weed, taking pills, anything I could get my hands on because the hurt was so big and I didn't know, I couldn't understand like why this all happened. I had no grounding, I had no spirituality and I really didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to about it. And I felt wrong for mourning you know, my ex-husband and my divorce because of what he did to my son. But all this time, and I finally realized a few years back that my feelings were very valid. And sometimes you can't help, you know, who you love. And so for me to say that out loud was, was non-existent. Today, it doesn't hurt because I know that's my truth. But I went from being sober to being the worst off that I've ever been in my life. And I had gotten pregnant again shortly after by the father of my first child. Um, cons con you know, consoling each other, if you can call it that. And again, no prenatal care. Um, I had every intention of getting an abortion and that didn't fall through, but I kept drinking. I drank a lot and not just alcohol. I drank liquor to the point where I would be throwing up. I smoked weed, used coke, all of it. And I, I wanna say like one of the worst parts of it is that the father of the baby I had in my stomach was doing the same thing with me. You know, when we talk about stigma and we talk about the fear that comes with that stigma. Well, I got to live that. I knew in that pregnancy that if I went to the hospital, that I would be in trouble. I knew that I would be on the radar with DSS. I knew that they would come to my home. I knew that I would be looked down on. I knew that there was a chance that even when I had her, that she would be taken away and that I would have that on my record and I would not have a chance at getting a good job or, you know, it was just really scary. 
but I had these big addictions and this big hurt that even that fear didn't stop me from doing it. I sobered up within the last couple months. Um, and then I, I had arranged for an adoption. And after I had her, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I allowed, you know, I kept her for a while and then I allowed for the grandparents to help and to take her. You know, I had a run-in with the SS. I had uh, different things happen. I jumped right back into my addictions, but this time was a little different. Uh, I found meth. I found meth after this pregnancy. And, and that's when I, I lost her and had agreed to letting the grandparents take her because I knew I wasn't in a good place. I knew that I couldn't be what she needed me to be. Um, I was barely taking care of the daughter that I had already. You know, they were already helping with my son. Everybody kind of helped with my son. But I walked in this world of hurt, in this world of pain and drug and alcohol addiction. And it wasn't too long after I had her that I had gotten involved with a well-known drug dealer. And back to back to back had three more children. During them pregnancies, the first one, you know, I used secretly. I was on cocaine every day and I straightened up halfway through. The second one was just like my third pregnancy. I used and used and used. And that time I did get in trouble. I had had some medical issues happen and I wouldn't stop bleeding. I drove myself to the hospital high on coke. And, and to think of it, I actually literally had you know drugs in my pockets and I got sent out to Rapid City. I got sent out up here from Pine Ridge. And DSS got involved. And they knew from the screens that there had been drugs involved. When I got up here, I was treated pretty badly in Pine Ridge once they found that out. You know, the nurse tried to be um, a little light on me, but you could tell the doctors and everybody else were just being really judgmental, not being helpful, looking at me like I was the worst person in the world, which is the reason why I didn't want to go in in the first place, which is why I didn't want to get care in the first place. But it was happening again. And up here, I was offered a place at the flowering tree if I wanted it, if I was ready to stop using and to be in a better place. And they, they talked to me in a good way here in Rapid City, surprisingly. I didn't feel as judged. I felt talked to and not at. And I, I didn't take that offer. You know, I healed up. Um, got my instructions and I went home and I continued to use. I was around five or six months pregnant at that time. I was in danger myself and my son was also in danger of being born at that time because of the drugs that I was using. And I had him, I went full term with him. I managed to somehow, some way. And then I got pregnant again 
my three youngest are, you know, a year and a half apart each. So it all happened rather quickly. By the time I had my last, my last baby, my baby girl, um, I had managed to straighten up a little bit. The DSS scare did scare me enough afterwards because they were coming to the house and I knew that I couldn't be using, uh, it was like being monitored. They were coming in and taking notes, looking at all the kids. And, and, and so it settled me down a little bit, more so put fear into me. And uh, they, they, they released me, you know, they released me and I did start using during my last pregnancy a little bit, but I managed to um, be a little more sober this time. I don't know if it was the fact that I had a lot of kids by now and was a little more busy. I don't know what the reason was, but I know I didn't use as much in my last pregnancy as I had in all my prior pregnancies. But we're talking about, you know, and that's just a, a little bit of my story, you know, just, just a little piece that I don't talk about much. So this was a little bit uh, different for me to really narrow in on the pregnancy parts of it. The healing in my family is, is moving so well. I have been sober for seven years now, just over seven years. I'm going on to my eighth year fully sober, no drugs, no alcohol, no pills. I try not to take any kind of medication if I don't have to, because I know I've already put my body through health. And um, so I try to be the most natural, be in a natural way for myself, for the betterment of my health and to be around for a long time for my children. Because of my addictions, I was never really a mom. You know, I was always chasing that high or always had a different, had different motivation and ultimatums to everything. Um, and it really held a steady job. I don't know how I made it. When my ex had gone to prison, then in 2008, I fortunately was given a home here in Rapid City and so me and the children moved here. And that's when my addictions got a little worse. The playground got a little bigger. You know, the, the social life was a little bigger. There were bars, you had ladies night, you had all these different things, but I was also employed. My job started at 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And at the same time, I still had the wild nightlife. I was leaving the bar at two in the morning, going to work at 3, 34, you know, still drunk half the time. And I found meth again wasn't my first time. I found meth after I had my third daughter, the one that I didn't raise. And I got really bad on it. And at that time I lost my home. I lost everything that I had and jumped into Coke, jumped into all of that. I found, I stayed sober for some years off of meth. And when I came back up here, I found it again, only because I couldn't find Coke, which was my go-to at that time. And from the moment I picked up meth, everything, was better, you know. I didn't, I didn't have to worry about sleeping. I didn't have to worry about any of that because I was constantly on the go, 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 go. Had all the energy, you know, all the time because you didn't sleep, you didn't waste time sleeping. But I eventually, I call myself a functioning user. I functioned from the end of 2008 to the beginning of 2013. You know, I had a house, I had my cars, I had my children. 
although I was absent in the party life and on meth and working at the same time, um, I can't even say that I was a mom. I was just kind of providing a roof over my kids' heads. And, and I'm, we're doing a lot of healing together as a family. So I hope, you know, down the road, everyone gets to hear their stories too, because my story is mine from my perspective, but I know I did a world of hurt to my children. So we work on that at home and this healing journey. Now there's talking and there's feeling and there's healing and it's, it's all kinds of, you know, good, there's truth. So although this is hard for me to record, uh, knowing that I, I put my children in these positions when they didn't ask to be born, um, they know, they know of my use while I was pregnant. They're aware of it. So even, you know, this isn't going to surprise them. Um, I'm completely honest with them in my recovery. And because I refuse to let, you know, secrets make me sick. And, and I know that my story does and will help other people. I needed help. I needed help after all of that happened. And nobody's seen it. And if anybody's seen it, nobody said anything. I remember one person saying something one time, but I totally overlooked that. And that was my own sister. She, she, she told me to my face, you need help. You need counseling. You need to see somebody, talk to somebody. But I didn't listen then. Um, so when I fell in 2013, I didn't just lose my house and my cars this time and all our prized possessions and you know, birth certificates and all of that stuff that's in the house. I actually left my children. I left them at this time. I, they were taken to my parents. And when I lost a home, I became homeless here in Rapid City. I run around the streets you know, for a couple of years on meth, uh, looking death in the face so many times. And in 2014, I had made the decision to go to treatment, a long-term treatment center. And I remember going into Ampetaluta down in Pine Ridge, my dad sitting in the car and doing the intake with them. And by then I had, you know, scars across my whole body, uh, my hair falling out or being picked out. My skin was horrible. I was walking death. You know, that, that, portion of my life is a story all on its own one that you know I'm, I go and tell all the time because meth is hitting our families and our, our homes really really hard right now so I use my story you know to help families and to help different people come into their own kind of recovery um, but in this part of it we're talking about the stigmas that come, the stigmas around drugs and alcohol. And it's really tricky for me because I know what happened with me. I know why now, you know, 2020 hindsight, I know why I did the things that I did, but there wasn't really anything in place at that time either. We're in a different time. We're in a different time and it, it's not okay to put people in jail who are hurting. And we as a people are already hurting, regardless of how good our upbringing is. We already have that 
trauma that's built into us from all this time, you know, from all of our generations before us. You know, we are, we are the ones who need to make these changes and putting our people in jail and degrading them and making them feel less than and not worthy is not gonna fix the drug and alcohol abuse that happens during pregnancy. It's not going to. I know it wouldn't have for me, it probably would have made it worse. And I know that the stigmas are the reasons that I didn't get help. They're the reasons I stayed away from the hospital. They're the reasons that my children didn't get the prenatal care that they should have. And it's the reason, you know, that even after care, after you have the baby, you're supposed to go in so many different times right away. And I didn't even do that. You know, I waited until I knew I was in the clear, wasn't going to get tested or, you know, that I, that I would be okay. I knew that that would happen later. I knew that. And so I made sure that I stayed away from a lot of them things. I knew my baby was at risk. I knew my kids were at risk. But I also had this hurt and addictions and all of this like nagging at me. And I didn't know how else to survive. I will never make excuses for myself. I couldn't understand it then. Um, I didn't have like the teachings that I have now. I didn't have the heart or the morals. I didn't have a foundation. And my story isn't just my story. There are so many other people that share the same story, but just can't talk about it. And I've been in healing work for, and in recovery for seven years. And it still gives me a little lump in my throat to talk about the things that had happened when I was pregnant, the things that I did to myself and to my unborn baby that I'm responsible for inside my body. And during treatment in 2014, 2015, was one of the hardest spaces in my life, the hardest parts that I ever had to go through. I was in a safe place, yes, around people who were equipped to take care of me and my detox and all of the mood swings and all of everything that I was going to be going through. Um, but I was never prepared for what would happen after I sobered up. See, I had been covering up everything my whole life, you know, from early teen, preteen years that have happened, survivor of, you know, sexual abuse and a bunch of different traumas. And I talk about that in my story too. And getting sober was the hardest thing that I've had to do. It wasn't the use of the drugs that was hard to do. Physically, yes, because of the detox, but getting sober and having to deal with all of the feelings, the reality that hits when them drugs wear off, when you don't have that alcohol to turn to, that is the hardest thing in life and in recovery.
that I've gone through because all of reality will slap you in the face the moment you don't have anything to cover it up with. So the truth about me and my past and the truth about what I've done to myself and to my children and to my family and the truth about what was done to me and my upbringing and my childhood and my teen years and in my adult years all slapped me in the face. The reality. I began um, having really bad anxiety attacks, ending up in the hospital out of treatment, when having to the ambulance come get me and taking me over to the hospital, mimicking heart attack effects. And you know, staying in that hospital for hours and hours and hours just to make sure I wasn't having a heart attack. I was diagnosed with uh, anxiety and depression, um, bipolar, uh, mood disorder, and one other, but diagnosed with all these different things. And, and I did start taking pills. I needed something to sleep. Um, and I figured because it was from the hospital that it was okay. And it was at that time because I literally needed it. I would have went crazy. Reality slap in the face is one of the hardest slaps in the face you'll ever have in your life. And it's how you handle that. I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle any of it well. Um, I tried leaving treatment several times and each time stopped, something happened. Okay, try again. I didn't really take treatment serious until about six months in. It took about three months before my mind could even think a little bit more clear. That's when the reality starts setting in. Um, I stopped floating and I hit the ground really hard and my mind started going. Six months in, I had everything packed at treatment. I was ready to go home, ready to go be a mom, ready to go um, go work and get a job. I thought it was like cured and ready to go. But I had a big reality check then too. I had a daughter who had suicidal ideations. And that was another reality check. I remember deciding in that moment that I needed to trust my family to keep my baby alive. And I needed to get better so I can go home and fix all the things that I've hurt and all the people that I hurt. And I knew that I needed to be strong enough. And so I made that happen. I had a lot of help and treatment with my counselors. I had a lot of counselors who helped me to see all these things. They didn't just happen on my own. I needed a lot of attention. And it happened. I came home. I'm seven years clean of any alcohol, any drugs, any pills, and I'm in the best place in my life. And my children get to feel that. You know, my children were exposed to drugs and alcohol in the womb, each and every one of them. And then they had to live a harsh life with a mother who was addicted to drugs and alcohol and addicted to going and being with other men and rather than being a mom and loving the party life and loving the drugs and the alcohol more than they were loved. That's the truth of it. 
And now, now we can all breathe. Now we can all heal. You know, healing takes many different forms. And I just want to share what it's like in my family. When I came home, my children weren't the best in school. They had a lot of bad grades, struggling in a lot of different ways. And when I came home, everybody still had their breath held, wondering if I was going to take off or if this was real. And, and it was like that for years. It didn't just go away, poof, the second I came home. I had a lot to prove and I had a lot of trust to rebuild, bridges to rebuild, things to repair. And I knew that people were going to have different reactions to me, especially my children. And I knew that I was going to be tested by my children. And I knew that my past would be thrown in face in my face by my, my children. I knew that. I knew that much, but I was prepared for that already. Now what healing looks like for us is when I came home with my daughter, um, excelled in school. You know, there was a lot of bully going on, bullying going on. There was a lot of different things happening. The younger ones were, were in a decent place. Um, they were still in middle school. My daughter just graduated, was jumping into high school. My son was a senior. Uh, and the more I was home and the more I showed them that I, I was coming back to me, I was going to be a better person, um, the more that they got comfortable and could start excelling in school and doing better. Uh, my, my son graduated and went to college and graduated after two years uh, down in Arizona. My daughter is in her third year at Minnesota Morris right now. And she graduated the top five of her class from Red Cloud High School and got some pretty big scholarships, you know, when you, because she was a 4.0 student. She went from all Fs and barely making it to you know, coming out of survival and being able to strive and being able to be her and not have to be mom or, you know, put things aside and worry about where I'm at and what I'm doing because she became mom when I wasn't, when I left. She had a lot of responsibility put on her plate being the oldest oldest daughter in the family. And I know that happens in many families across the reservation. But I, I stand and I tell my story all the time because I know that that can be corrected because I'm living it. I'm walking it. I'm walking and showing through example in my own life. And that no matter what we've done, it can be undone. But it's going to be a lot harder with all these stigmas and all these policies and that and all that is put in place around women who are using. It isn't that they're criminal and that they're really bad people, but take it from me. We're really hurt. We're in a really hurt place. Our people all together are in a really hurt place. And the answer isn't throw everybody in jail or take their children. That's only going to enable the use more. Let's teach each other. Let's help each other. Let's show each other. Where's our treatment centers? Where are our alternative healing centers? Where are our healing centers all together? Where are them and how are them being utilized? You know, what, what can we do there? 
it's actually a long-term dream or goal of mine is to get something like that established. My story um, could last a very long time, a very long time. I could touch on just about every topic that a person could want me to talk about. I've been through the depths of hell in my addiction. My children have paid for it enormously. My family has paid for it enormously. And I've paid for it. You know, I've, I've faced death and suicide and, you know, wanting to commit suicide and all of that because it does get to that. You know, that feels sometimes like as if there's no point to live. Um, so when in doubt and when looking at doing the reform for all these laws and trying to help break stigma, you gotta think bigger and not necessarily just bigger, you gotta think deeper. You know, the use of surface, that's, that's, there's something underneath there in each and every person that it's happening to. So there's a way, there's a way to help pregnant women, education being the first, prevention, you know, but it's gonna take the, it's gonna take all of us to do that. It's gonna take program after program to make that happen. But I'll tell you this, it's harder to make a comeback from anything if you have that record and you're having to jump through hoops that are made and put in place for you to not be able to jump through because that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's designed, the system are designed to not let you have your children back. And they're designed, set up for failure for our people. To set up for failure. Um, I didn't have any questions coming into this and I, I knew this would be a little bit hard for me to do. And I actually had to find my own, you know, safe place away from my children to do this just so I can come at it with my heart and not worry about what I said or have to shield anything that I said. And I've said it before, I'm not afraid for my family or my children or anybody to hear my story, but being my, putting myself in this place of being alone enables the truth to really come out because each time for me, every time I do share any part about my story and about my recovery, something new pops up, something new pops up for me and I have to practice a pause because I could literally jump back into that memory at that time and remember what I was feeling and memories come, they come all the time. It's part of healing, letting them go, releasing them, acknowledging them, acknowledging yourself. There's a way out here that we can help each other. And I, I found it. And if, if it found me and I am just waiting till the day that I'm able and in a position to hand that backwards to everybody. And I'm working on that. I'm truly working on that. 
I, through all my drug use and all the craziness, I, I never finished college. I was a really smart kid. I was a really smart kid. Um, until, you know, one of the, the biggest trauma that happened and I went totally downhill. I never finished college. I'm now um, proud to say that I'll be graduating this year with my bachelor's in psychology with the emphasis of drug and alcohol counseling, concentration in drug and alcohol counseling. So I'm working on getting myself set in a position with the credentials to be able to come back and help my people. Cause I believe that I went through everything that I went through so I can help. And I believe that I lived through all of that so I can help. So I won't keep my story to me. I will continue to tell my story and hope that it enables even just one other person to reach out for help. It enables one other person to be able to change their life and their children's life, you know, their family's life. And in some way, I hope that my story, you know, can help on, on the part, the piece that we're talking about today is the stigmas and what it really does because I'm a firsthand, you know, I have firsthand accounts, experiences. And I just know that it's not fair. It's not fair to criminalize people who are so hurt. I wanna thank you for giving me this time today and listening to me. And I look forward to the live forum where we all get to meet in person and talk about a little more. Thank you.